This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. In the last week, tensions between the U.S. and China have escalated as the two countries fight over the future of one of Asia's most important cities, Hong Kong. It started when China declared that it would put in place new national security laws in the city. China tightens its grip on Hong Kong. A new security law gives Beijing more power. Many see this as an end to Hong Kong's autonomy, promised for 50 years after it was handed back to Chinese rule in 1997. In response, the U.S. said that Beijing's move effectively took away Hong Kong's autonomy, the thing that has been key to the city's stability and prosperity. Today on the show, the battle between China and the U.S., over Hong Kong's independence and what it means for the city's future. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Limaw. It's Thursday, May 28th. Hong Kong's a city that's something to everyone. It's a city that's been useful for governments over the years to hold meetings. It's been a place for international business to get together. It's been a place to move money between banks, a stepping stone for China to go into the world and for the world to go to China. Jim Arity has covered China and Hong Kong for decades. And the reason that Hong Kong has had a special place on the world stage is because of its unusual status. Hong Kong was a British colony until 1997, when the territory returned to Chinese control. And as part of that move, China agreed to let Hong Kong run somewhat independently for the next 50 years. Hong Kong could have elections and maintain its court system with laws protecting civil liberties like free speech. But recently, China's made moves to curb Hong Kong's independence. And China's current leader, Xi Jinping, has stepped up those efforts. He has made it very, very clear that China is in charge in that part of the world. And Hong Kong certainly falls within that sphere of influence. Xi Jinping clearly does not want to see a Hong Kong that looks like the United States or looks like a Western country right on his doorstep. But the people of Hong Kong have fought back against any move to curb their freedoms. Last year, millions of people in Hong Kong protested against a bill that said if you were accused of a crime in Hong Kong, you could potentially be extradited to China and tried in a court there. The concern was basic fear that a crime in Hong Kong could result in a trial in China, that problems in Hong Kong could end up in Chinese courts. Why is the prospect of a trial in Chinese courts so concerning to the people in Hong Kong? The main thing that Hong Kong has that makes it different from China is a rule of law, a system of law that is very familiar to Westerners. Courts in China are necessarily politicized. 
all the way down to the lowest level courts. There's a political dynamic to it that isn't supposed to exist in Hong Kong. And people turned out in a massive way. You know, a few million people were on the streets. Those millions of people on the streets brought Hong Kong to a standstill. This put Beijing in a tough position. It wanted to put an end to the protests, but it didn't want to be seen impinging directly on Hong Kong's freedoms. Beijing's reaction was a lot of behind-the-scenes effort and sometimes in front of the camera effort to end these protests. They made it very difficult for the mainland Chinese tourists to go there. That put pressure on business interests in Hong Kong and very dramatically on the border cities to Hong Kong. China amassed troops, military people who were very visible. I went and spent a few days in Shenzhen as what looked like thousands of troops gathered at a stadium. This was not a secret effort at all. It was extremely visible. And this stadium was about a 10-minute drive across a bridge to Hong Kong. The message couldn't be more obvious that these military troops could be placed into Hong Kong in some way. This military threat didn't put a stop to the protests, which grew in intensity and violence through the fall. And then coronavirus appeared. By January, cases of COVID-19 were confirmed in Hong Kong. The city went into lockdown, and the street protests came to a stop. In the silence of Hong Kong's streets, Beijing made a move. In the, maybe you could call the lull of the COVID crisis, Beijing appointed a new chief for Hong Kong, a guy called Sha Baolong. He's certainly a new guy in town, and everybody knows why he's there, and that's to end the protest. He's there to make sure that Hong Kong remains seen as part of mainland China. By making this appointment, Beijing was preparing the groundwork for an even bigger move, which happened last week. Ahead of the annual session of the Chinese legislature, China announced a plan to pass new laws that would impose more control over Hong Kong. These laws would supersede Hong Kong's own government and give Beijing the power to take action against anyone it believes to be involved with seditious or terrorist activity. Hong Kong was supposed to implement its own version of laws like these years ago, but abandoned that effort after half a million people protested. So this week, Beijing did it for them. And it is very much along the playbook of what has been happening all along from Beijing, and that's an effort to make Hong Kong more like China in some of the ways that they consider very, very important. And the main way is the national sovereignty of China, that Hong Kong is not seen as a place where there is sedition, that it would declare independence or something like that. This was not going to be tolerated. Why does China say it's taking these steps? China says that national security law is a natural part of governing part of your country. And their argument is that this is not anything unusual and that the only people who would have to be concerned with a law like this would be terrorists, would be separatists. And the way it's interpreted in mainland China is very, very broad. In the U.S., you might think of terrorists as somebody who would attack the World Trade Center in 9-11. But in China, they have shown that they take a much more broad view of what might be a terrorist activity. And that could be anybody 
who is doing something that questions the state. It could eventually mean control of the internet, the way news flows in China. It could make people more afraid to post things in chat groups and make newspapers reluctant to say certain things, to carry certain views. It could make the protests in Hong Kong, which have been such a visible problem for Beijing, illegal. But Jim says it could potentially do a lot more than that. In mainland China, you don't see protests on the street. It's certainly not against the government. In mainland China, you see extremely tame media. You would never see an attack in media about a major policymaker in China, Xi Jinping. You wouldn't see any coverage of their family. All these kind of things are perfectly fair game in Hong Kong. And the reason is because Hong Kong currently does not have laws like this that make it illegal to speak out against the government. And how did the people of Hong Kong respond to news that Beijing was planning this new national security law? You know, it appears that the people in Hong Kong are responding to this national security law with a sense of profound disappointment. And there's a sense that, man, really things are over in terms of the way Hong Kong has gotten used to being free. And sure, there's anger, there is protest, and there are likely to be a lot of violence. People are going to get hurt. We've already seen many people arrested. We've seen thousands of protesters. The biggest thing that I'm picking up on, the biggest sense is just really bewilderment that this could happen. And now a city that maybe won't have the kind of rights that everyone exercises on a daily basis. China's move in Hong Kong was so big that the U.S. had to respond. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines. But are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? Stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work. Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier too. Join Holly Robinson Pete and her guests on the Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Welcome back. After Beijing announced its plan to impose these national security laws on Hong Kong, a response from the international community was inevitable. The spotlight immediately went to Washington. What is the U.S. government going to do? People were interested in the U.S. government's reaction because it's played a quiet but important role in securing Hong Kong's special status for the last three decades. Before Hong Kong reverted to Chinese control in 1997, One of the things that, frankly, the British and the Chinese agreed on was to convince the U.S. that Hong Kong would be a unique place. And so in 1992, 
In fact, Senator Mitch McConnell sponsored a bill that became American law that Hong Kong would be considered a semi-autonomous place and that every year the U.S. would revisit that and look at, is it continuing? And this is almost a rubber stamp decision by the President of the United States, Secretary of State over all these years since 1992. Yes, it is. It is a unique place and it is semi-autonomous from China. With Beijing's national security laws looming, it wasn't clear if the U.S. would rubber stamp Hong Kong's special status the way it always had. And yesterday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made that call. He officially declared that Hong Kong was no longer semi-autonomous. This change could have real consequences for Hong Kong and its 7 million people. One of the things that Hong Kong has unique to mainland China is it has its own seat in uh, organizations like the Asian Development Bank, at the World Bank, IMF, these sorts of organizations. It sits there and so does mainland China. They each have a seat. The U.S., under the 1992 agreement to give Hong Kong special status, agrees to support those kind of things. It's going to color the way that Hong Kong is looked at, probably by these organizations. But Jim says it's the companies that do business in Hong Kong that could feel the brunt of the impact. It could become harder to import technology, to avoid tariffs, and eventually it could make Hong Kong a less appealing place to do business. I mean, is it going to be safe for executives to bring their trade secrets to Hong Kong? Are they going to think twice about that? You know, in mainland China, a lot of executives from major Fortune 500 companies that have some technology, those executives, when they go to mainland China, they don't bring their cell phones. They don't bring their computers. They're afraid they'll be spied on. This could probably result in more of those kind of people saying, well, also when I go to Hong Kong, I'm going to do the same thing. That's the kind of practical effect that I think is going to be really hard to gauge. There's not going to be an easy scorecard to see how this hurts the Hong Kong economy. If this special status that Hong Kong had from the U.S. was there as a way to kind of protect the people of Hong Kong, does this move of revoking that special status, could that end up hurting businesses and the people who live there? You know, the biggest risk in this entire puzzle uh, about this special status is how the U.S. is going to have a hard time removing elements of the special status in ways that they want to do to penalize Beijing, but without penalizing Hong Kong people. The U.S. government, I think, as a matter of policy, would like to support democratic institutions. They want to further the rule of law. It was just enormous support for all of the kind of institutions and the free speech and the free media. So they're going to have a really hard time pulling away parts of the special status to hurt Beijing without hurting Hong Kong. Exactly how the U.S. hurts Beijing could complicate the already fragile relationship between the two countries. The U.S.-China relationship is misfiring on so many different levels. We have territory in the South China Sea. We have trade balances between the countries. We see treatment of people in China, whether it's for religious reasons like Uyghurs in the region called Xinjiang, or 
free press advocates, we see problems on COVID and how the differences about how each country has handled this. So the U.S. saying that Hong Kong is no longer semi-autonomous is going to be seen as a slap in the face to China. Now, it's possible that quietly in Beijing, they're going to say that they don't really mind that if this results in the U.S. pulling away a little bit from Hong Kong, maybe all the better. What does this moment mean for the future of Hong Kong? What is happening now in Hong Kong, it raises levels of uncertainty about what Hong Kong means that are very difficult to answer. This is a long-term erosion of what Hong Kong is and the way East Asia works. It's not an overnight switch. This law in the immediate term is probably going to quiet or at least thin out the ranks of the protesters on the streets. But the longer term implications could be very bad for Hong Kong. If Hong Kong ceases to be a city that the world, including China, trusts as different, as unique and capable and free, I think it's going to cause problems for all sorts of arrangements around the world, political and economic. But I think the underlying thing is it's going to send a lot of fear through businesses in the world. Today, the United Kingdom, Australia, and Canada joined the U.S., saying that Beijing's proposed national security laws in Hong Kong would curtail civil liberties and, quote, erode Hong Kong's autonomy and the system that made it so prosperous. That's all for today, Thursday, May 28th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional audio in today's episode from Hong Kong University Student Union via Storyful. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.